And for me, I think art, music, at the end of the day, it's a, it's an empathetic art form, music. Um, it the I feel like the main purpose or the main goal is for you to share a human experience with somebody else, and whether if that is through classical or another form of music, if the recipient, the the listener, when they listen to that music and they resonate with the the empathetic nature of what that artist was trying to communicate, what kind of human experience they were trying to communicate. And if they resonate to that and are moved emotionally, then that's great. Like that's, you've accomplished, you know, what we're here to do. Today I'm talking to Ken James Kubota, the cellist who is known for playing the cello like a guitar. Hi, Ken. Hello, how's it going? I'm fine, and you? Doing well, doing well. Nice to meet you. Lovely to meet you on Zoom. Tell me exactly where are you based? New York City. New York. So okay. It's uh, like 10 a.m. over here, yeah. So um, you really have something very interesting going on that I see. You're a musician and you play the cello, but in a quite different way than... Uh, <laughs> than most people would think. <laughs> uh, I suppose so. Some may, some may say that. Yes. Yeah. So, what was the idea, or, or is it is it just something that we don't um, see often that it's done, or is it something that you started doing? It's it's unusual to see. I mean, there are people who have done it before, and. Yeah. I've seen like so select few kind of do it occasionally, but I I I guess I'm the one of the few ones that decided to kind of like really lean lean into it and really kind of make that I suppose part of my identity. Yeah. You know, playing it like a guitar, I guess. Yeah. But um but tell me first, so so um when did you start playing the cello? I started when I was uh, eight years old. So mm -hmm. that was about like first, second grade for me. And what was it about the cello that um, fascinated you or that made you choose the instrument? It was, it wasn't so much that I was attached to the cello itself. Mm -hmm. Both of my parents are musicians. Um, my mother plays the piano and my father, he's an amateur, but he plays the flute. So. Mm -hmm. Growing up, they would always play together, play a lot of chamber music or bring friends and, you know, have an ensemble. So growing, growing up, I, I saw that and I was just jealous. I just wanted to join, you know, because they, it seemed to be such a fun activity for mm -hmm. them. So I asked, you know, what can I do to join? And they initially, you know, were giving me little little things like you know they would just give me like a little drum for me to like hit or my dad would give me like a broken piccolo so i can stand next to him and pretend that i was playing with him okay you know but event eventually you know i was like i i want a real thing so they they figured that you know in the family we were missing a lower register instrument 
So my dad being a woodwind player, he wanted me to perhaps study the bassoon. And we started looking for a bassoon or a bassoon teacher. But I guess it turns out that bassoons don't really come in like a small kid size. And we couldn't really like find a bassoon teacher in the city that we were in. So the second option was just a cello simply because there was a new cello teacher that came into town and one of our family friends, you know, was telling us about the new teacher and be like, I hear she's a good teacher, you know, it's a cello, it's a low register instrument, maybe that would also work as well, you know, so that that's kind of how it started. It, it wasn't so much that I was attached or my family was attached to mm -hmm. the cello. It just, it just fit the requirement of... Uh, I yeah. A low-registered low instrument. And it, and it just happened to be the teacher that was there in the town. Yeah, it just so happened that the yeah. teacher that came was a cellist. So, yeah. you know, I could I could have well, very much been any other low-registered instrument player, you know. Well, there are no coincidences, so maybe it was just meant to be that way. Well, see, I guess we'll yeah. continue to try to find out, you know. <laughs> But now you say in the town that you lived, where did you grow up? I I was born in Ohio okay. and I grew up in Ohio for a good chunk of my life. And then I moved to Michigan for most of my high school years. And then, then I came to New York for school. Then I've been kind of here since. Okay. But uh, when you grew up uh, and, and in school, were there many opportunities for you to also then, or was it, was it sort of um, music orientated that you could be be stimulated more in a way or was it just your family that's where you got this inspiration from initially, initially it was the family but the schools that i attended had orchestra programs or string programs so i would do a little bit of that but by by the time that i was in those i guess orchestra programs at school i was already more advanced than most of the kids because I had been starting since I was much younger. Okay. And usually those programs that I started to join, I think was from like middle school or something or late elementary when kids start learning for the first time, you know, later. So for me, I was attending a lot of like uh, outside of school, ensembles okay. you know and curriculums and programs so there were there was like a chamber music program that I joined that was in town called chamber music connection mm -hmm. where it's a program of you know a very diverse range of uh, levels and ages and we all learned how to play chamber music and I was also in like a youth orchestra in town so mm -hmm. I was doing a lot of different kind of musical I guess, opportunities and ensembles mm -hmm. in, in the town that wasn't necessarily through the public school. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But now, um, did you ever in, in that time and when you were young have this uh, period where you sort of, uh, you know, like in teenage years where you were not as motivated or was this something that really was your thing that you wanted to do? It's uh, 
it's kind of like well you know like obviously as a teenager or growing up sometimes your priority is friends yeah it's the social life that you you feel like you are defined by the people that you spend time with and you want to just hang out with them all the time you feel like you know if you don't spend time with them then then you know they'll they'll not like you or they might not be your friend you know so I think there was like a good chunk of time where I I didn't want to practice Mm -hmm. you know because for any kid practicing is hard it's also it takes a lot of self-discipline and patience you know and it's a tough thing. So it's much more attractive to go outside and hang out with friends and play video games or play sports. You know, mm-hmm. so definitely I crave that. But at the same time, fortunately, a lot of the my really kind of like close friends that I made in life were also through the music programs that I was part of. So mm-hmm. my my friends, a lot of them were musicians. Mm-hmm. So they understood like the lifestyle. So it wasn't, you know, fortunately through that, you know, I also understood that, okay, like, you know, this practicing is something that I have to do, but it's also motivating because I would see like older kids be really amazing. I'd be like, I, I want to be like that, or I want to try to catch up to that, you know, or get good so I can like impress my friends or kind of like things like that. So it was kind of both, you know, there, there were a pocket of my life where there, there were people that helped and supported the environment in which I needed to kind of develop as a person, but also being in a public school, I think system music wasn't the focus for most students. Yeah. You know? So they wanted to do all the other fun social things. But that I think that's also good because it brings that balance, you know. Yeah. That's that you you could have. But so um so you did your classical training and so on, and when did this switch come? When did this idea come to play it as a as a guitar? You know, like funnily enough, it started very early already in i think elementary middle school really yeah not too long after i started playing cello because again you know as a as a kid i i really admired guitarists or like electric bass or just like bass players i thought they were really cool i wanted to be one of them i wanted to learn how to play the guitar um but also that that in my mind was like a definition of like cool you know like somebody who can like play the guitar really well you know and I thought that was like really cool but the cello seemed like a kind of like a nerdy you know thing to do and like didn't seem as cool growing up as a kid so you know part of it was that I just wanted to be cool or I just wanted to stand out or get attention and attract that kind of energy from around me so that was part of it when I was a kid um and then combined with me just trying to be a guitarist and wanting to do that but I just I just didn't have a guitar um and my parents at the time didn't really buy me a guitar because they're like you should focus on 
cello for now kind of thing. So I just took the ideas of guitarists and just applied it to the cello just for fun. So, I mean, it was just a very casual thing for most of my life where I'm just kind of strumming for fun and my friends would think that, you know, it was funny. And oh, yeah. um, But it was not until college. Yeah, like, call, like once I was in college or grad school, then I, I found myself um, in a place at a music festival called the Kuroga Lake Music Festival, which is in upstate New York. And I was thrown into a situation where I was placed with some jazz musicians and they wanted to just kind of play a song and they didn't have a guitarist. So they're like, hey, Ken, you know, I know you play the cello like a guitar. Can you just like comp, which is like accompany us with like chords, you know? And I I had no idea how to do that, you know, because like me just playing the guitar and like the guitar style and just strumming is one thing. But for me to actually like read the chord chart or like the lead, oh, yeah. sheet, because I didn't know how to do that yet, because this was just like a look. It wasn't really like an understanding, oh, okay. you know, because yeah. it was. I just wanted the attention and kind of like the look and like seem like I knew what I was doing, but I didn't really know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then being placed in that situation, that was when I first had to actually learn, you know, like, how do I read like a jazz chart or like when there's like a certain kind of chord that's written, how do I, how do I play that chord on the cello? You know, so it kind of started from there and I had to really kind of sit and figure out, okay, like if it says this chord, then I need these notes. My finger pattern needs to look like this kind of thing. So I had to like develop my own method because there's no, <laughs> there's no, I guess, yeah. references like that I can rely on. Like there's no like teachers that I can go to, or there isn't really like an online resource or YouTube tutorial because nobody was doing it. So I had to kind of just figure it out on my own and figure out what I needed to do to play these chords and how to read this to translate to the cello. So that's that's where I first finally start to dive in and have a deeper understanding of how to play the cello much more like a guitar or a bass and be able to accompany or have these things that I now do more of. And that's kind of how it starts. So like the seriousness came much, much more later, I think in life and since then i'm still still learning and still trying to see and like if i'm confused i you know would ask jazz musicians and be like hey you know like how do you do this kind of thing amazing but yeah but i i mean um so so the notes that you play because this is also what i thought the chords must be completely different so you you have to have the the background of being able to play classically to understand the cello, to be able to convert then to to make it then sound or, or to get these sounds of the chords. Yeah. So the I guess from from the core, it's universal. Like in jazz, the notes in the chord are the same for everybody, right? The the way in you, which you like. Um, arrange it might be different. The way that you place, like the order of the notes might be different or the notes that you add on top of what's written might be different. But 
at its core, like if you say like a, you know, like an A minor seventh chord, that's, you know, that's, that's four notes in there that is universal across the board. And the, the way in which I would, you know, comp would be, you know, stylistically a common thing across the board as well. There are certain kind of like styles in which people would accompany and like play. So that's kind of hearing, hearing that sound world and like, like learning, learning the style, you know, it's a lot of just kind of, again, learning like a language, you know, that's a common metaphor that's often used in, you know, music and th across different genres. So you kind of familiarize yourself with that, that language, the, how it sounds, how it's kind of spoken and how it flows. So it was just something that I had to kind of dive in. But fortunately, I, I did also grow up listening to a lot of, you know, like pop music, jazz music, oh, yeah. and all sorts of genres growing up. So at least I was relatively familiar with kind of how it sounded. So I was able to kind of instinctually work my way through or, you know, my friends would kind of guide me as yeah. well throughout. So. But I mean, the, the cello is also not built really to, to hold that way. So is, yeah, is it true. also a bit uncomfortable then to, to do it? Or do you find a, a position where it's, where it's easy for you to hold? Yeah, it, it, is, it is a little odd. It also looks a little silly, but it's actually not as uncomfortable as it looks probably. <laughs> yeah, because the, the way in which the cello is shaped, there's, there's these ribs it, yeah. It's called the C-bout. It's on the side where it's kind of, it caves in. And you can put that like right over your leg. So you already have this like nice little oh, pocket yeah. Yeah. to fit over your legs. That kind of like already works out. And on the top side of the bow, you can just kind of rest your arm on top of there. So it does end up kind of feeling relatively comfortable once you get used to it. You know, mm -hmm. as long as, you know, you always want to make sure that whenever you're playing any instrument for the matter, that you're, you don't feel strained, that you're not overexerting and overworking mm -hmm. because you don't want to injure yourself. So yeah. I but tried to just find a position that was comfortable. Yeah. Do you use the same instrument that you play classically um, to, to play like that? Yeah, it's the, it's the same, it's the same mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. And the strings, it's, it's, you can, the strings take it when you strum. So far, they've been taking it. Oh, really? You know, like, um, it's the strings are fine. My fingers weren't usually. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I, I I used to get a lot of blisters on uh, my fingers oh, from yeah. all the all the plucking, or every time I was strumming, mm -hmm. would have like these huge blisters okay. from doing it. So, like, I've learned my lesson, and I started. If I'm strumming a lot, then I started mm -hmm. using like a pick, so oh, okay. I don't like hurt mm. my fingers anymore but yeah there was a period of time where I was strumming exclusively with just my fingers and yeah I would get a lot of blisters oh, okay. so yeah now now I have like uh it's it's a special kind of pick it's for like yeah. bluegrass and it's like a much thicker oh okay it like mm. works works better for a cello that has really thick strings okay. But fortunately, you know, I haven't broken the string yet, so oh, okay, okay. You know, hopefully we can keep it that way. Knock on wood, yeah. But um, so you're also part of a band. 
Correct. Mm -hmm. And tell me about this band. I have a band called Empire Wild. It's a trio with me as one of the cellists, and I have another cellist. And then we have like a multi-instrumentalist as our third. And we all met, I guess, through Juilliard, where we all went to school. And, but we weren't really, we were only acquaintances. We weren't really friends during school, but after we graduated, we found an opportunity to get together to play non-classical music, okay. essentially. Like I heard from other friends that there were these musicians that were good at playing non-classical music. Mm -hmm. And I, I have a YouTube channel that's separate from the band called JHM Jams, where we do weekly pop covers, where I just kind of like gather, you know, different musician friends in my circle and we kind of get together and just kind of play a pop song by ear and kind of have oh, a wow. good time arranging it. Yeah, so it's just kind of like a fun little project that I do. But so I was just looking for musicians that I could play with, who like classical musicians who could learn things by ear and play pop songs and like be able to play different genres. So those two were recommended to me. So I invited them over and we started playing together and we like work really, really well together. It had a very kind of natural workflow and we sounded pretty good as a group. So after, after doing it a while, you know, one of the other cellists suggested, you know, what do you think about, you know, starting to write our own songs? you know, instead and yeah. just like create like maybe a band and see mm -hmm. see what comes out of it. And that's kind of how it started. So we we are a band that really spans across all sorts of genres. You know, you could call it genre fluid. So we we do classical, we do pop, jazz, you know, folk music, you know, any any kind of genre that any kind of music that really kind of resonates with us, mm -hmm. we kind of dive into. So our shows are usually quite like a offering of everything really yeah and, um, and yeah. is it is it a sort of um how can i say so if you play all these different genres and you you don't just stick to the because of course you were classically trained is there a sort of a snobbishness about that you know like like classical musicians yeah. doing just classical work and and not going into other genres I think there was a time, mm -hmm. probably not too long ago, even like 10 years ago, where, you know, probably the initial reaction for most people were like, oh, if you're, if you're diverging and going yeah. to something else, you know, either, either that you're, you're not a good enough classical musician to be able to make a living as a classical musician or that you were just kind of not serious or, you know, there, there was that kind of weird stigma, like stereotype of someone who does crossover isn't as respectable or isn't as, you know, cool, I guess, you know, that there was definitely a little bit of that, I think, growing up. But fortunately, you know, we live in a time now where there's the internet where yeah. you can really 
see so many different kinds of musicians from around the world. And this sense of versatility starts to become an asset. It becomes an advantage and a power to have to be able to be good at multiple different things for you to be able to kind of put yourself in any situation and still be able to excel. So now I feel like it's not as frowned upon. Yeah. You know, and even even for us, we are we did like a competition as a trio. Um under Concert Artist Guild. It's a it's a management in New York, based in New York. And they have this annual competition where if you win, then you get management. But primarily, primarily, they are kind of like a classical institution, but they are like a slightly more like open-minded classical institution. And we applied and fortunately we won, which wow. got us mm-hmm. like a North American representation. So now we have a manager who works with us, but that was a sign for us that, you know, we we're this weird group where we're not, we're classical musicians, but we're not playing classical music at all. Yeah. And for like a classical institution to recognize that, yeah, to kind of like take us in was a comforting sign mm-hmm. for us that they felt like not just the industry, but also the, the audiences mm-hmm. would be open and excited to have that kind of thing at yeah. their concerts. And even, you know, prior to us, there were other many groups that showed a great example of that as well, mm-hmm. that have paved the road for us. So I think now, now it's a very exciting time for a musician to be able to explore other genres and for that to be an asset and something that is deemed as like a skill or something that's great or cool you know yeah i spoke to a conductor a while ago and he actually said that many of the music that we see as popular music that they ha- the, the 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 music itself is very um interesting and in, and it's uh you know it, we we think of it as not as good because it's not classical, but it is actually very good music, you know. And uh, and uh, it's that's also interesting for me that that if you go into these different genres, that you also attract different people to the music, you know, and to the sound of the music and the sound of the instruments. Yeah, I I definitely think it's true. Um, the more that I learn and explore all the other genres it's really kind of amazing what kind of stuff is out there and it's like really complex sophisticated things that might be in like a you know like a mainstream pop song or you know even some kind of other artist that's putting their stuff out there that is most definitely not classical but it really still resonates or yeah. you really admire kind of like the artistry that's involved in creating the work. And for me, I think art music at the end of the day, it's a, 
it's an empathetic art form music um it the i feel like the main purpose or the main goal is for you to share a human experience with somebody else and whether if that is through classical or another form of music if the recipient the the listener when they listen to that music and they resonate with the the empathetic nature of what that artist was trying to communicate what kind of human experience they were trying to communicate and if they resonate to that and are moved emotionally then that's great like that's you've accomplished you know what we're here to do and that's why i'm not so kind of attached to like one particular thing because if it if it moves you then that's great i think music at the end of the day you know it makes you feel less lonely in the world because we we all experience all the human experiences and the emotions and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones experiencing it you know whether when like really tragic things happen heartbreaks or even you know some of the most happiest moments you know i think in life too like we have a really wide spectrum of life experiences and emotions that we go through but by listening to i think music that capture all the different kind of moments of life and the spectrum of emotion that one might go through i think it it builds a community because it makes you realize that you're you're not alone in this world and then that there is a community of people who have experienced this before you and will continue to experience this after you so that's kind of how i view it so that's why i'm not so attached to a particular genre because they all serve i think a greater purpose yeah and of course when you play these different genres you also have a, a opportunity to express yourself in in a way yeah As most definitely mm. mm -hmm. i agree because i think if i find a way to affect somebody you know that's listening to our music or when they come to our show in one way shape or form then you know that's great you know i guess the worst thing is like if they come and they leave without feeling anything then you know we we didn't do our job very well but yeah it is a thing that i do kind of keep in mind you know yeah. that we're trying to create this empathetic world now if you say if you come together and you uh, you as a group you are also now composing what type of music do you compose what what is the genre then for for us when we're composing and creating our own songs again <laughs> it's a lot of different genres we, we do pop mm -hmm. we write pop songs we also have written like folk songs some jazz like american songbook type songs as well so yeah, we're when we write too, it's just also kind of slightly scattered. But you know, if if it's kind of music that we resonate with and we like, then we do it. So 
we don't we don't really think oh let's not do this because it's this style or let's not do this because it's this genre you know we we're very kind of as inclusive as we can try to be now in a city like new york where there's uh, there are so many musicians and so many um uh, you know artists and and how difficult is it for you to make your name and, and to to establish your place in the industry it's tricky most definitely um whether if it's new york city or not it's i think it's hard you know especially in new york city because it's so saturated with amazing artists but i think it helped that i went to school here for six years so <laughs> while i was in school i built a lot of relationships and friends that are now i think part of kind of the network in which I work with, you know, in the, in the world in New York. So I think that definitely helped to go to school because now like my classmates or the people that I met in school are, you know, doing great things out there or yeah. that like ladder. And, you know, we invite each other for different kinds of events or hire each other for gigs. So that helps. But for, for me, on top of that, I think really diving into social media helped kind of create a presence yeah, and really kind of establishing kind of an identity and a brand for myself by just kind of spending a lot of time investing in cultivating, I think, an audience on social media, whether if it's Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, or like YouTube. And that's kind of how I found myself here now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you think of it, I'm on the other side of the world of you and I discovered you on Instagram. So whatever you yeah. did. Yeah. And if I, guess I it's could, working. <laughs> if I could dis uh, discover you, then how many other people have? So, uh, yeah. Yeah, most definitely. I think it's it's amazing the power of yeah. social media and the kind of connections that you make through just having a presence there yeah so it is a very cool thing that i still get to experience you know really meeting people yeah. from literally all over the world but now can you tell me what are your wishes for the future i think from kind of a selfish perspective I, I want to just be able to keep creating music and keep playing with my friends or other great musicians and be in that space where I'm performing and I'm creating and I'm sharing. I think that is what I would like to kind of like be able to do for many, many years to come and you know if that means that you know we become bigger and we're performing at bigger places or things like that then that's great but i think bottom line is like if i'm happy playing the music that i'm playing or creating the music that i'm playing and i feel like challenged and fulfilled and feel like i'm constantly kind of developing something then i think that'll be really exciting. And then if I have that opportunity to share with others, whether if it's my experiences or teaching 
you know, other people, music or cello and being able to kind of en encapsulate my life experiences and be able to kind of like share that, whether if it's in performance or not, then I think that's kind of the bottom line, what I would find myself happiest in. So that's kind of how I'm kind of seeing it from like a more personal perspective. And then if that starts to affect more people and if it's creating like a positive community and an atmosphere and environment, or if certain people are inspired and motivated by kind of like the life that I'm trying to lead, then that's great, I think. Well, and I hope uh, somewhere one of your wishes would be to come to Vienna to do a concert because I would love to see you play cello uh, like a um, like a guitar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be fun. I mean, that I I only visited once when I was a little little kid, and oh. I don't remember, you know, because oh, I was so little. There's yeah. like pictures to prove that I was there, apparently. Oh, okay, okay. But, there's no, there's nothing in here from that trip. So hopefully I can go and yeah. just, you know, remember. <laughs> yeah, that would be amazing. But now I have one last question for you. Can you do a shout out for your favorite coffee shop or restaurant in your area? Coffee shop or restaurant? I don't Wait. really drink coffee. So I don't know if I have a coffee shop. You know, it's, I know it's weird for some people. But I don't, I don't drink, I don't start my day with coffee. It's uh, like, I only drink coffee. I mean, I enjoy drinking coffee, yeah. but I only really drink in the afternoon if I need to. Mm -hmm. If I'm really tired from teaching and I need to just like still keep teaching more students, then, you know, I might have some coffee, but restaurants around here, you know, recently I went to an Ethiopian restaurant like in my yeah. neighborhood, mm -hmm. Benyam, B-E-N-Y-A-M, like right, like kind of like north area of New York, Manhattan. And yeah. it was incredible. Oh, okay. I really loved it. It was delicious. And so that, that was a very memorable kind of meal that happened very recently. So, you know, I guess... Shout out to Benyam, like this Ethiopian restaurant in New York. Highly recommend. Okay. Um, and what what type of dishes do they have? All sorts. They have, you know, Ethiopian dishes that are vegetable-based, meat. Okay. Is it spicy, spicy food or is it mm -hmm. not necessary? I think the things that I tried uh, weren't spicy. Uh, okay. It's also kind of fun because you're eating like with your hands where they give you, I don't know if you've ever had Ethiopian food. No, no. I yeah. So it's how it looks is that they have their like very, I guess this Ethiopian bread, it's almost kind of like this spongy bread that's kind of like thin and rolled up. And what you do is that they bring like this big plate with just kind of like little kind of, like I guess these little dishes that's like on a plate and then you take the sponge bread and then you kind of like tear a little bit and then you use that to kind of like grab 
the food. Oh, I see. And then okay. you like kind of like eat it, you know. So it's a it's kind of a, like a cool fun experience too yeah. as an eating That's experience. Amazing, yeah. So delicious and also kind of like a fun eating experience. So okay, you know, if people haven't tried it yet, I think it might be it might be a fun. Yeah, that sounds interesting. But I'm just now very inquisitive because I want to know if you don't drink coffee when you wake up, what do you drink when you wake up? Just water. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't, Is that like, not, not an interesting tea or something? <laughs> yeah, no, like I, tea, I, I, I enjoy tea too, but I usually don't find myself drinking tea throughout the day either. Oh, I see. Reason, okay. I guess maybe, like, maybe I'm just lazy, you know, like the, the effort to make tea, to boil uh, the water and like do I like already takes too much time. So I think for me, it's just usually water. Like the first thing I oh, do okay. is like drink water and I just kind of go because for me, I don't, I don't really have such a hard time getting up or just, I guess, being awake in the morning. Yeah. You know, if I'm up and like, you know, once I get ready, I'm pretty, I'm pretty awake. So I don't really need coffee or tea to oh, I see. Okay, like, yeah. boost my morning. I usually need it more in the afternoon, like after, uh, okay. you know, like usually after lunch, you know, you're full and you're sleepy. Mm -hmm. Oh and yeah. Warm. You know, like those are usually the times when, you know, I might drink something to kind of snap out of it if I need to like do a lot of work or like stay focused and I have things that I need to do so and that's kind of been my life oh, okay. yeah that's interesting so but Ken thank you so much for your time it was so lovely to talk to you and I hope when you come to Vienna then you um let me know so that I can I come to your concert <laughs> <laughs> I hope so I hope soon 